He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. Those large operators have 100 plus listings, so they're not really doing work on mobile. And they also integrate to PMSs and channel managers, meaning they already get to Verbo. So mm -hmm. that choice of, like, hey, we have to build for the large folks first because they're the most underserved. They're the most at risk right now in a lot of ways, especially in a lot of markets. Um, we know that space well because John and I both operated you know, uh, large portfolios. We just knew that we knew the tech needs really acutely. Uh, we just felt we're better positioned to deliver ironically for larger professionals. And so we chose that. Um, so that's an example of like an obvious feature. Will, you mentioned like Spotify might not have something. Mm -hmm. They might have a whole other cohort of folks that they're trying to serve whose needs kind of crazily to you might outstrip others. Because I, I think it's rarely, it's rarely like um, no one wants to be bad at building in fact, every team really wants to build a great product. And the question is, well, who are you building for right now? Um, and that's shaped a lot of how we think about products in the near term. You're listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, a podcast for those who are in and around the hospitality industry who love, live, and breathe what they do. You can join us for candid and unscripted conversations with hospitality experts and founders as we go deeper into their personal stories while they're sharing their triumphs and trials that got them to where they are today. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and you're listening to an episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast. Now, let's begin. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another bonus episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, where we are publishing the live Q&A that we did with Andrew Kitchell. So if you heard the episode last week, it was an amazing story about how they overcame the crash of Lyric with the rise of Wheelhouse. And so what we did was we invited our audience and our friends in our networks to join us on stage live and ask Andrew, any questions that they may have had from the episode or just the overall insight of Wheelhouse and the topic of dynamic pricing. So I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. This is also a very big shout out to our friends over at journey.com. If you are a property manager and want to have a unified dashboard and also have the power of Wheelhouse behind your fingertips, then you definitely need to sign up for Journey and you can tell them that Will sent you. So enjoy this bonus episode and see you all again next week. All right, everybody, we are back. So um, if you are joining and watching this live on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, all the platforms, just know we uh, had a killer episode with Andrew Kitchell, obviously, who is with me right now. And uh, we're doing a live q and I've never done it this way before. So Andrew, thank you for being my experimental guest of uh, oh, yeah. Doing this type of format. <laughs> For those who don't know, John DeRolay is a teammate. Yes. At Part of the Wheelhouse team. Yeah. And Lovely maybe guy. maybe we'll take a second too, just to, John, can you share? Um, so, you know, Wheelhouse builds revenue management software. We talked a little bit about that during the episode. What do you do? What are you excited about right now around Wheelhouse and kind of revenue management? Well, I'm excited about a lot of things about Wheelhouse, and I have been for a year, you know, over a year now, uh, I got really lucky to join Andrew during probably an interesting time for the team. Uh, and they were lucky enough to, to find a space for me and let me kind of join and um, kind of fight through 
to get to where we are, but the chaos. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I really joined cause, uh, you know, the first thing that caught me is I was using the platform as an end user and I was just really impressed. I've worked in, um, the industry for a long time. I've seen a lot of the changes, uh, the kind of history of revenue management in our space along with Andrew. Um, and I hadn't really come across wheelhouse as much when I was working with stay Alfred, we had our own systems and we worked with other people. Um, but when I got a chance to use it, especially that pro product, I was like, man, where was this when, when we were building, like, why did we spend so much money? like building stuff we didn't need to build when this product was around. turns out I, I didn't realize it wasn't around. Uh, the user <laughs> I was using was in beta, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal product. And coming from an environment where I had built a team of, you know, 12 analysts, 10 to 12 analysts who were doing this on a daily basis, um, it had fit a lot with the insights that I had about what I thought needed to happen for really professionalized revenue management teams in the space. Um, and since they were like, they were one so far along two just great folks. I was super excited to be able to join. And, uh, yeah, well, Hey, Will, can I ask John some tough questions? Ask him, ask him away, <laughs> ask him away. <laughs> What's going on here? It's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> what is, what is, what is, what is wheelhouse need to improve the most? What are, what are the top two to three things we need to improve or that you are excited that we're working on right now? That's an interesting question. I think, you know, <laughs> if we're not talking about little things, because there's always little things that we can improve, right? The space is really varied. <laughs> and so you have all these different kinds of clients and they all have some things that are both kind of personal, some things that are maybe apply to other people. And then some things that are more like industry moving that they, they ask for. And we have to do the work of, you know, being a fairly small team of prioritizing what directions we're going to go and doing it in a way where, you know, if we just chipped away at all of them, we probably wouldn't have reached those kind of plateaus you need to really move forward. So we have to choose, you know, okay, for right now, we're going to focus on this kind of segment and do these, this series of features that's mostly going to apply to these people. Then we're going to go over here. Um, I think for us right now, the big one is is multi-unit logic. Um, that's that's one we need. To, we we can use it on our platform, but it's not the best solution. I think Great. when when we do it, it will by far be the best solution because, ironically, we're probably the most experienced in the space doing multi-unit um, <laughs> as managers. <laughs> and then um, some of them too. I think for us, I, I think we do a pretty good job. But this is the perpetual balance. Is um, we really want to to respond to what people are asking for, but also move the industry forward in a way where people, you know, do the things people haven't asked for. I think mm -hmm. being part of those venture capital backed um, operations companies allowed us to kind of look around and, and do look into other industries and, and get access to other stuff and kind of push the industry forward. And we want to do that in this space, too. So not only build the things that people ask for, but build things that people haven't thought to ask for yet. I think you can already start to see that in a lot of parts of our platform, especially on some of the features that our, our competitors like carry on immediately. They'll like follow up on that. Um, but that's something I think we really strive to do. And it's a tough balance because sometimes sometimes it's going to be really successful. Sometimes it'll, it might be kind of a dud or the, the timing's not quite right and it'll become more successful. And other times we might miss it. But I think it's important that we continue to do that every time is to try and invent something that people haven't asked for yet. I was going to ask a similar question because I've struggled with the like, oh, why isn't this feature like this is an obvious feature, right? Not like with Wheelhouse in particular, but in any use case, like we just onboarded with um, 
not to like throw them on under the bus but megaphone by spotify and there was like one feature i was like you don't have that every other hosting platform has that why not and they're like oh it's just not in the pipeline for us and it's like okay so from a product building standpoint is there like when do you filter out those like obvious solutions that should obviously be on there to like oh well is there like a thinking like uh, we don't have a demand for it, uh, even though other products competitors do have it, um, or is there just like a like we just never actually built that yet and we don't have it on the the pipeline? I could share, John. Can I share a couple of thoughts here? It's your so Q and A, Andrew. <laughs> yes, yeah, our Q and A. So um, I, there there are two two examples of this come to mind because we we do have customers who have asked for certain things for us. Um, the, the most notable one is people really want to be able to use Wheelhouse with VRBO. And we haven't built a integration to them yet, which is frustrating people. And I totally understand it. And I'm frustrated too. And the, um, the truth is like, in that case, that's a product development we want that really takes two teams to tango, right? We need to get them to agree to, uh, to build with us. And that's not always easy. That's part one. Um, and then I would say uh, kind of a second feature that people do ask for is um, for Wheelhouse to be better on mobile. And I understand both of those, right? For VRBO and mobile, people want those. Um, however, what we made the decision to do kind of 15 months ago, even though we will be improving mobile with a new, a new set of marketing pages coming out, marketing kind of content pages coming out in about eight weeks, um, our customers, the customers we really seek to, to serve First are large operators and those large operators have hundred plus listings. So they're not really doing work on mobile. And they also integrate to PMSs and channel managers, meaning they already get to Verbo. So mm-hmm. that choice of like, Hey, we have to build for the large folks first. Cause they're the most underserved. They're the most at risk right now in a lot of ways, especially in a lot of markets. Um, we know that space well, cause John and I both operated, you know, uh, large portfolios. We just knew that we knew the tech needs really acutely. Uh, we just felt we're better positioned to deliver ironically for larger professionals. And so we chose that. Um, so that's an example of like an obvious feature. Will, you mentioned like Spotify might not have something. Mm-hmm. They might have a whole other cohort of folks that they're trying to serve whose needs kind of crazily to you might outstrip others. Because I, I think it's rarely, it's rarely like um, no one wants to be bad at building products. In fact, every team really wants to build a great product. And the question is, well, who are you building for right now? Um, and that's shaped a lot of how we think about products in the near term. I like that. <clears throat> well, um, I do have one other person backstage. If we want to bring on another body, uh, we have uh, Ben Day from Jetstream uh, on the awesome. on the live. Yeah. So let's bring him on. All right, Ben. Ben. Welcome. Hey, thank you. How are we doing? Long time good, thanks, guys. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, congratulations to the wheelhouse uh, guys. Great to see you here. And hey, had some good funding news. And I'm about to enter two weeks of intensive wheelhouse as our revenue manager is off for a couple of weeks. So uh, I'm looking forward oh, to becoming right. a, a guru. And uh, apologies in advance when I'm bugging you to uh, adjust minimum <laughs> yeah. days. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Well, we should do this podcast again in two weeks and you can be like, oh, it's great. Or I haven't slept at all or, you know, whatever, whatever may come. But uh, how are you, Ben? I'm very good. I was just on a call with uh, 
the guys at Revenue Revenue Hub. So I've got a uh, a question I want to throw out to you guys, but uh, I'm not sure if this is the uh, the correct forum. But you want me to have at it? Hey. Have at it. At worst, we, we can't answer it. Yeah. I was gonna say we we knew we come, came into this like knowing like we could have any ball thrown at us today, any of them. So fire away. All right. Let's let's pretend in a in a in a perfect world that everybody is using Wheelhouse uh, yeah. in a market. Um, yeah. Let's also pretend that everybody has decided to outsource the Jetstream and our company, uh, and it's a marriage made in heaven. But uh, let's just start with Wheelhouse right now. What happens to the prices? Everybody is using a super smart, dynamic pricing tool. What happens to the prices? Do they go to zero? Do they? Does nothing sell? Does everything sell? Where, where does it? Where does it shake out? Do you, you guys ever think of that scenario? So, uh, Trevor at Revenue Hub and I were discussing that this morning. Yeah, I've got a I've got a hot take on that. I'll hop in first. JDR's probably got an opinion on it too. Um, so Ben, I've had, I, this is a great question. I've actually uh, kind of think about this from a philosophical perception perspective. But like, um, so first of all, Wheelhouse does not price a hundred percent of homes in any market anywhere, <laughs> uh, and we probably never will. To be realistic, homes and apartments. Um, however, in the scenario that it did, I, I think what I think about. When I think about revenue management, dynamic pricing in particular, really what we're trying to do is to match demand to supply, right? And in the short-term rental space, what is really true is people aren't just buying a place to sleep, they're buying a place to live. That means all these different attributes, your porch, pool, patio, Wi-Fi, parking have different values to different people on different days. Your pool is worth more on the 4th of July than it is in December. So I would actually argue dynamic pricing is really getting at the fair market price for each individual listing every single day it's not it's not gonna be static it's gonna change based on when demand changes and shifts maybe a you know a big snowstorm hits a mountain destination all of a sudden that place with a fireplace or near to the ski slope is more valuable relative to market so i think about if every listing in market was leveraging dynamic pricing you'd actually just have a really fair articulation at the very worst you might not have advantages of pricing against other folks. You might, but they, you'd have a very fair articulation of like, what is the fair value of each asset every single day? Every single day. I like That's that. kind of part, this is kind of part one. And part two is the reason we will never price 100% of all listings in a market is because as soon as Wheelhouse was or becomes the dominant or is the dominant pricing strategy in a market, you could argue if we were just a, simply an automation tool, that you should just write an algorithm against us. So again, like, should we just automate prices? You could write an automated pricing engine to price against our dominance, right? That's part two. Part three is, will Wheelhouse automate some aspects of a strategy, but other people come in, or kind of aspects of pricing, but other people come in and they set their own strategy, right? So you might say, hey, even with Jetstream and with other things, we still, no matter what the market says, we don't want to sell to anyone for less than three nights right now. We don't, two nights before, want to book out a place. We're going to raise rates. And, and you or other people, other owners, might take different strategies and say, like, hey, it's really important for us to attract families as opposed to people coming in for a party. So we want to merchandise it differently. We want to market it differently. And we want to screen our guests differently. So everyone makes, outside of pricing, operational, strategic, branding, et cetera, decisions 
that also impact revenue and pricing is a component of it. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things that um, make it. So I, I do think all price all assets will eventually be dynamically priced. You are matching yeah. supply and demand, right? I like to say the food you buy at the grocery store, most of it's dynamically priced. Fruit is cheaper in the summertime when it's when there's a plethora of fruit, and more expensive in the wintertime when you got to import it, right? Uh, obviously, gas changes with supply and demand. It's a little different because it's not an expiring good necessarily. Food is, mm-hmm. gas is not necessarily. Um, but um, yeah, the world is dynamically priced already. Uh, short-term rentals historically were not. All assets eventually will be, and it actually won't be a problem. I would actually argue it moves towards market efficiency. Moving to a perfect sure. market. Yeah, that was my like grade twelve economics. That's that's <laughs> taking me back to the to the eighties. I'm probably totally, I'm probably totally wrong, Ben, but that's how I think about it. No, I like that. Uh, and I, I think the uh, some of the stuff Airbnb's just been announcing recently is to uncover gaps in the market where supply and demand may not naturally come together. Mm-hmm. But if you can now stitch a stay together between two places and get to your, you know, your 28 day stay, you know, that is is that now taking a, a what used to be an unhappy guests not finding what they want and uh, two unhappy hosts not getting full rooms to suddenly we've we've made a trip happen and both parties are happy so I'm I'm excited yeah. to see what you guys are doing and excited to see how the, the distribution and the OTAs are gonna uh, help this along as well yeah well I, I think I love that and Ben if you have to hop you know we um you say as long as you like, or if you have to hop, we totally understand. But I think that was, a, I think it's a really good point. I, I actually think the, I think Airbnb's um, introduction this week, I think I've seen it both lauded as like breakthrough and I've seen it lauded as like, this is the big innovation. And my opinion is like, there's some incredibly sneaky, cool things that came out the door. Yeah. I think, I think this, I think this split stay, like, yeah. Now you can stay in your dream home for two nights and move to the other one for eight, right? Now you can yep. kind of mix. Maybe you say, hey, part of our trip is going to be in luxury and part of it's going to be budget, but overall we're going to spend exactly what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And you could you can make that search easier. And I got to see it executed, but like I think you're right. I think the premise of does it enable either for a short, medium, long-term stay, does it enable you to come in kind of um, move more quickly to get the job done of booking places, Okay, well, time is money. So I'd hate, I, I, I don't like, I, I don't mean to use that word. I don't like using, I don't like going on as doing so many different searches for places. And if Airbnb can make that easy, brilliant. Yeah, what exactly. does that do on a, a data standpoint for a company or product like Wheelhouse? If one guest is staying at three properties for 10 days, does that just show as it was? three different stays within the backend data because it's three different properties. Let's say they're all powered by wheelhouse. The pricing is different, but it can't, does it tell that it's the same guest at all? Uh, Good question. We do not see guest information. So wheelhouse prices supply side, right? We, mm-hmm. there are, serve, there are like online marketplaces that where they like, or stores where people have come in and said like, Hey, if you log in from an Apple computer, or if we know Will loves this particular thing, we're going to charge you more. Wheelhouse doesn't do that. We price supply based on fair market conditions, which I which I think is actually a great way to do it. So we wouldn't necessarily see the guest information. Um, 
I don't know if there's anything in the data we see around um, those bookings that would let us know that it's the same folks. And I don't know if it's going to be displayed differently. It could be tagged as a split booking and therefore we would know it. I, I yeah. don't know yet, actually. Yeah, that's good. Good to know. Yeah. Um, I think people I, should know though. We, again, I, I think the part that double click on is like, we don't yeah. price around individuals, right? You're yeah. not seeing it a different price than someone else because of us. Uh, there is a fair clearing price for supply every day. And that is our specialty. Yeah. And I have one other question that I know has come through multiple times as an operator from guests. Uh, but do you think guests are now becoming more accustomed to price changes and dynamic pricing? Because the number one thing we get is why did I, you know, uh, you'll get a message on Airbnb and they say, why did I get the the home for $175 a night? But when I want to come back in the future, uh, let's say in August in Seattle, it's beautiful. I'm here to visit my daughter for a wedding and it's now $250 a night. Um, why, why did that happen? Why, why am I being charged more for the same house? Uh, and the question or the answer we always give obviously is like, Oh, we use a dynamic pricing tool. That means there's a lot of people coming in, blah, blah, blah. We're just trying to be competitive with our competitors or whatever. Um, but what's the normal like response or even just kind of like, I guess just a two part question, but do you guys have one, a response for normal questions like that when people are kind of questioning dynamic pricing, but then are guests or, or travelers becoming more accustomed and used to uh, seeing price jumps like that? Great question. Um, I, I can, John, you want to hop in and share something? I'll... Um, yeah, I'll, I'll mention something. Uh, so one, the first thing is, I think there will always be guests. You, No matter what, yeah. 20 years from now, there's going to be people who do that. Um, and part of the, the reason is like, particularly in our space, some people just don't travel much. I mean, there's people who are middle-aged who, who only traveled once in their life. Right. So there's always going to be new travelers and people who don't understand the dynamics. Um, but I think for the most part, the, you know, the zeitgeist of people, they, they, it's not something that's unusual to them. And usually I just point people towards hotel rooms or mm -hmm. airlines, airlines in particular. It's like, hey, you know how you pay for the same seat, different prices, depending on when you go. It's because there's only so many seats on the plane. And, and mo if more people want to go, the price goes up. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the same thing that's happening here. And sometimes, you know, you can draw it to uh, other industries that people don't think of as much um, as being guided by revenue management. But like Andrew said, it really applied, you know, fruit is a big one, but restaurants, you know, what is happy hour, but a form of revenue management, you're trying to, you're mm -hmm. lowering the price during low demand periods. Right. Um, so I think drawing people to other kind of industries just as an explanation it's like you know it's really just demand there's a lot of people coming and that's why the price is higher uh mm -hmm. sometimes if people are really struggling with it you can kind of flip the narrative it's not that the price is higher it's that the price is lower when people don't want to come or when there's yeah. less people who want to come it's like the high price the top price is your standard price every other price <laughs> is a discount from that <laughs> <laughs> that's a good that's a good way to phrase it <laughs> i like that i, th I think I like so that. i mean We've definitely heard people too, like in some ways wheelhouse gives people a defense. Will, like you mentioned of like, Hey, look, we trust wheelhouse with our pricing. They price based on demand. We are seeing a really high period of demand. Um, that's part one. And then part two is, yeah, it's, it's, a, look, the, the rental business isn't easy to be able to provide a high quality service year round means that in periods of high demand, which can be few and far between in some markets, we need to do a great job of capturing revenue. We have people to pay. We have cleaners to pay. 
we deliver a high quality product. So I think like, you know, much like in retail, you take away the month of December, a lot of retailers are out of business. Mm-hmm. Well, you take away the high season, a lot of vacation rental markets, that property is not even available or online. Right. So I think it's kind of like, um, I understand. I always want to pay less for everything. <laughs> yeah. So, do, so does every person I've ever spoken to would much <laughs> rather pay less. And that's why, like, that's why demand driven pricing is, is a thing. And right. Like if there is no demand, you might not be able to charge what you charge. Um, but, but yeah, I think, um, I don't know the exact statistic will on how many people are yeah. like surprised by dynamic pricing. Certainly back in the day, that was a huge knock on the dynamic pricing. We've had to, we've had to talk to angry folks who said, don't call me. My guests should have the same price every single night of the year. It's like, okay, aren't you working yeah. pretty hard though? Um, we're yeah. really here to help. Well, I, uh, uh, go ahead, Ben. I just was, have my, a, my other question was going to be completely off topic on restaurants and stuff. So we'll let you come in. <laughs> just to, just to throw in a comment from operate, like the dynamic pricing is you're absolutely right. Supply and demand matching from an operations standpoint. It's really good hospitality operationally. If you can reward the people who reward you. So you know how like the phone company, they're the last people to give you a deal if you're an existing customer. So they've trained us all to shop around every 18 months and get a new cell phone. Mm. You don't want that in hospitality. You've got to hire front desk people, housekeepers, churn. So what, uh, what it's good to try to do is to try and layer in your price and get that price at the beginning correct so you're not constantly chasing the prices down and giving it away at the last minute. Because all we end up doing is, is it, diminishing the trust. Why should I book early? I'm just going to book late. And we've seen that obviously through COVID for other reasons of uncertainty. But if you've got 60, 70% of your business on the books at, at the right rate, three or four months out, it makes running a business way, way easier than uh, if uh, 70% books the 48 hours before and you're, you're scramble, yeah. scramble, scramble for supplies and housekeepers. So, you know, trying yeah. to blend in the dynamic um, with uh, rewarding people. And that might just be an upgrade. It might be an early check-in, late checkout, or, you know, a bottle of wine, a membership club. But, you know, rewarding those people who are rewarding you to make your business run easier is is something else we have to weave in uh, on top of the, the whole pricing decision. I love that. Yeah. That's really good. Um, I know we have another question uh, coming in from Oliver here on LinkedIn. So how will Wheelhouse or any competitor coming from the SDR space need to expand their distribution to truly address the market? And this is specifically for Midlink. Yeah. Um, I love it. So for folks, I, I've been talking a lot about mid-length lately, and I think Airbnb has too, and I think others have as well. And there's there's a reason for it, which is in some urban markets we're seeing north of 55% of all short-term rentals now um, having had a mid-length stay, right? These are, they're in the mid-length market. Um, and Airbnb is doing a big book of business, uh, distributing to folks who are booking 28 days or more. That's already there. However, um, sites like Zumper, Alto Vita, um, other kind of marketplaces that target this mid-length stay are super interesting. And I think people should be selling on them. Um, in fact, I think if you have a short-term rental, what 
the landscape will look like in two to three years is you sell not only on Airbnb, VRBO, Booking.com, Expedia, but you sell on Zumper and Zillow and Altavita, and you sell on your own site, of course, as well. But the 30-day, um, you know, ultimately all of the marketplaces are going to compete. There's a the big skiff conference talking about the convergence of really hotels and short-term rentals this past week. Really what you'll see is convergence, therefore, and probably all the real estate platforms. And our argument at Wheelhouse is eventually this inventory will be sold on essentially every marketplace. So no reason Amazon couldn't sell vacation rental stays. They've they've looked at it before. Um, and every network could be an advertising platform or a distribution platform as well. So I think great distribution in the future for mid-length or for anything, you'll, you'll first sell where real estate sells or short-term rentals sell or hotels sell. Those are the obvious ones. And people will eventually do uh, better distribution there. There isn't a great solution for it now. I don't know of a solution now. But then eventually name a marketplace, name a network, short-term rental supply will be available there. People will be advertising their own spots on their Instagram account, on their TikTok account, everywhere. Uh, and they'll have a little calendar attached to it where people can book. So that's, that is a distribution landscape with the future, whether it's 30 day or just generally where you sell your flexible supply. Dang. That's uh could be fun. That's a big statement. Um, I, just to give some insight on uh, a previous recorded conversation uh, with um, Janice Sosa from Indie Travel. Um, she was talking on the podcast, which her episodes to come out in like, couple weeks um is like the creator economy and i know short-term rentals share economy but as you just stated tiktok accounts instagram all that stuff do you think that like granted we had a big burst right of instagram influencers and all this other stuff that kind of happened um with social media booms and all this other stuff but do you think everybody will now have that access to become automatic influencer whether they have 150,000 followers or a million or whatever uh to like just having 10 followers or friends or inner circle members that they just post something like that too well there're going to be advantages to both uh breadth of kind of breadth of distribution in my opinion this is like lightly informed all right um but breadth of distribution is always going to be a great thing uh, for like, if we wanted to sell supply, like, yeah, you'd want an influencer at a million followers to tweet out or to share or to create a video about your property or your company. But then also the super engaged follower base is really interesting too, right? Because for super engaged followers, and I think, I think you've done a good job of this, Will, where like everyone in the industry knows you and knows your name. And therefore, like, it's easier to, to, for someone to hear a podcast or an interview like this and turn into an evangelist. Mm -hmm. Right. And evangelism is like a great way for us to reach not only the first people who hear us, but for them to tell a friend. Yeah. So I, I think there, I, I would, as a, as a company trying to get as many people as possible to use us, I would look at both the breadth, like the broad distributors and the deep distributors as, as both valuable for different reasons. Um, and then I would test, I would test conversion rates across those. I don't know if that's your exact question, Will, but um, no, totally. it's a little like, how I think about it. No, I, I just more or less wanted to see, you know, see your thoughts uh out on the on just the idea of something like that because that's something i've been thinking about it's like you, you made the comment in the interview uh on the episode that we just played but it was you know why not do a podcast at a vacation rental and be like hey if you want to see the place i'm staying at here's a link go ahead boom go for it like and then all of a sudden that property just got 
let's say two to three bookings from a simple yeah. um, content creation kind of, kind of tool. So um, yeah, no, it's just well, interesting. I, what, what I really like and what I've been talking to folks a little bit about is um, I really have started to come to think of hotels and short-term rentals as selling different as being, I know there's a convergence going on, but I actually think they're fundamentally different products in the consumer's mm-hmm. mind. I think in the consumer's mind, a hotel room is a place to sleep and a short-term rental is a place to live. Mm-hmm. So you would market those really differently. They hit different. It's like, I, I totally get it. If a hotel is like, I just need a place to crash. I don't even care. That's how I think about a hotel room. Whereas a short-term rental, I'm like, I want to get the best one. I want to get the yeah. best one. I want to stay there and I want to maybe like stay in for the night there and have friends or whatever it is. But um, I really think um, that's why like we'll see these new mediums of like, is it crazy to do a podcast from a hotel room and expect someone to book the hotel room? Yeah. It's insane. I would argue. Is it however, very logical to do that from a cool short-term rental? Absolutely. You can walk around the whole place. You can walk around the, you know, the, the yard should it have one or the neighborhood or like you could do all sorts of cool stuff to just show like, Hey, you're coming to live. Well, I'm going to show you what living's like. Um, and so it's, it's a really different marketing medium. It's a really different merchandising medium. And that's what makes it so fun to think about like, Oh yeah, well, we're pricing a supply, supply that's not well merchandised yet, but it will be, it will be. I love it. Well, um, we went a little bit over our time, which is good. Per usual. Uh, per usual. Uh, but thankfully, I'm uh, glad that we at least got one or two people up on stage. Uh, to Daniel, who got on stage, but, uh, you know, didn't hear the mic or the camera thing. Sorry about that. Uh, hopefully next time we'll get you up. But, um, you know, this has been really fun. I really kind of like this experiment. Thank you for letting me use uh, you and Wheelhouse in the episode that we just did uh, as this, uh, you know, little avenue of fun creativity. But, um yeah, for anyone who watched the episode, uh, wants to get in touch with you about Wheelhouse, there's going to be tons of show notes. We're going to leave tons of comments on all the social media platforms for uh, Wheelhouse directly. So just so uh, you guys can learn more if you didn't you know, get your questions answered. But Andrew, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me, my friend. Yeah, Will, thank you for everything you do, bud. Great to, great to talk with you and uh, look forward to talking more soon, okay? Thank you so much for listening and thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast possible. We hope you enjoy the show and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content or find us on slicktalkthepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week. Thank you.